second timothy and we left off right around verse um 19 i want to say yeah so where we are is second book written by uh written by paul to his protege timothy uh, who's pastoring a church in ephesus where there's all kinds of problems and false teachers who are dividing the congregation and leading people astray. So Timothy's pretty timid. So Paul has to keep reminding him to keep on keeping on and uh, keep teaching the truth. And we're going to see a little more instruction in that area. Um, Paul is on death row, about to die for his faith. And yet here he is encouraging Timothy. This is the last book Paul writes in the New Testament. So, um, He's talked about those false teachers, and we're going to find out that we need to keep away from certain people and under what circumstances that goes by. Then we're going to see a little discussion about the last days um, and what that means and what people are going to be like in that time. Anyway, so that I know that you're awake, say amen. amen. Oh, wow. Now I'm awake. Those of you on Zoom say amen or wave your hands. I can see five or six screens there at least, and then a bunch more that are blacked out. But anyway, let's pick it up in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And um, let's see, uh, verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly or rightly handles or divides the word of truth, the Bible, being able to accurately teach it and, um, and handle it and not twist it. The reason that's in there is the, the false teachers are twisting scripture, which if you've ever been around Jehovah's Witnesses, they're famous for this. They you can use a scripture and make it say something and you look and you go, oh, I just don't see that. Verse 16, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. It does get progressively worse as people move away uh, from the true gospel. Their teaching, he's talking about those false teachers again, will spread like gangrene, a flesh-eating disease. Among them are, and he names two of them, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. They're really doing real damage. Now, the some that they're destroying the faith of, I can guarantee you, do, are not grounded in the Word, don't know what the Word says, because if they did, they wouldn't be fooled by these counterfeit ideas. Verse 19, nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Now, it may not look at look like it at a glance, but in that verse, you can see the two pillars of, what do I want to call it, um, everything that happens in Christianity. There are Christians that believe that we are supposed to read the Bible and learn Christianity and learn the teachings of Jesus and do it ourselves. Come to Jesus ourselves, change our behavior ourselves, do it ourselves. There are others who believe God is sovereign and he's the one that drew you to Jesus. He's the one that changes you. But there are verses that show, like this one, like Philippians, I think it's 2, 12, and 13, right around in there. There are verses that show both of those things working together. 
And you say, well, how can that be true? Well, there's God's sovereignty and meaning he's, he rules over everything. What he wants to have happen is and is going to happen. On the other hand, we don't sit in a recliner and say, go ahead and change me. I'll wait. We have an active part in it. But to teach one or the other without the other is to teach false doctrine. You can see both in this verse. Look at it again. God's solid foundation, it's his foundation, stands firm. That's the gospel. That's the word of God, which he was just talking about. Sealed with this inscription. And notice the inscription is two, are, is two things. The Lord knows who are his. That's divine sovereignty. God knows his kids. He calls them. John 6, 44, no one can come to me, Jesus talking, unless the father who sent me draws him. On the other hand, the rest of that verse says, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. There's human responsibility. Do you see those two things? Um, and they may seem like, well, it's got to be one or the other, but it's both both and, you might say. The Lord knows who are his. God knows ahead of time who is going to be saved. He chooses some. Many are called, few are chosen. You may have heard that. So these two um, inscriptions, or the, he's calling it inscriptions, um, the first one is from Numbers 16. It's a story called the Rebellion of Korah. You may have heard of it. Um, in uh, number 16, the, the verse, there's a verse that says, in the morning, the Lord will show who are his. I want you to remember that we can't be sure. He knows who's saved and who's not, right? We can't tell for sure. We can certainly be fruit inspectors, look at somebody's life and see he doesn't seem to be repenting of any of the sins he was doing before. On the other hand, she's a whole new person. It seems like she's saved and he's not. We can't really judge who's saved and who's not, right? Uh, God knows, though, and he knows his own, and he calls them. John 10 is a good place to look for more on that verse. The Lord knows who are his. The second one, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must do something. Do you see it? Turn away from wickedness. You know, when you come to Christ, you turn away from something towards something. You can't add Jesus to your wicked life. You have to turn away from something. That's what repent means. It's sort of a U-turn on the road of life. So both are true. There's human responsibility. We respond to the call of Christ and we repent in our lives with the help of the Holy Spirit. It's both. Uh, divine sovereignty, those God knows who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Turn away from wickedness is pretty simple, right? God reveals to you things that you used to do that were fun, and, and you're understanding now that God says that's wickedness. Christianity is saying yes to God to the point of saying no to myself. When I want A, and I know he wants B, I have to choose B. But we learn about sin and who we really are through the word of God. But what about that first phrase every, in the second uh, inscription? Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord. Um, there's a, a verse in Romans. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord. There are verses that say, Jesus says that if you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you at the judgment day. So there can be no such thing as a secret agent Christian or a closet 
Christian. I'm a Christian. I just don't want anybody to know something wrong with that. Why would you be ashamed of the gospel? Uh, the power of God unto salvation, Paul calls it. So um, in the Old Testament Judaism, the high priest who made the sacrifice wore a turban. Many of you don't know this, but you, know, you think of turbans as being more of an Arab thing. But Jewish high priest wore a turban, and on the turban were the words, holiness to the Lord, meaning they understood divine sovereignty, but they also understood we are to live holy lives. Holy means separated, different from the world, separated unto him so that he, we can be used by him. So we, let's see, we talked about that, uh, and we talked about that. Um, the solid foundation stands firm. Why is that in there? Because there's a, a lot of shaking and earthquakes in the foundation of Timothy's church, meaning not literal earthquakes, but meaning false doctrines coming in. But amongst all that, there's a solid foundation. On this very street on which this church school road, and of course, those of you know, because you're here, right? On this church, we used to drive down here, picking the kids up from school and say, it's cult row, not because of this church, but down the road is Jehovah's Witnesses. And right next door is Mormons, LDS, right? Latter-day Saints. Um, there's even now behind those two buildings, if you look when you're driving, the Positive Living Center. Is that a non-Christian cult? It is. They teach that we're all gods and you know, don't get me started. But anyway, despite all of that and people that are, it saddens me to see people pulling into those parking lots, they're deceived. They're coming there to get fed and they're getting nothing, right? In terms of God, they're being led further away. Despite all of that, there's a firm foundation. The Bible, the word of God, it hasn't changed. The gospel hasn't changed. We have to concentrate on the real, the firm foundation. Okay. And we have to confess the name of the Lord. That's right, too. Uh, let's keep rolling. Verse 20. Now, he's going to make an analogy here. It's a little confusing. You got to stay with me. You still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay. If you were asleep already, I'd be very worried. In a large house, or some translations have, in a great house. So what he means there is not your average little small house that people might have then. He's talking about a king's house, a mansion in a big house. This is God's house. This is Christianity, or more specifically, the Christian church. He's going to make an analogy, okay? Let's see what the analogy is. In a large house, great house, there are vessels or articles, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Okay, so you got the picture. You get to go into the palace and hang out with the king or the prince or somebody, and they have vessels of silver goblets that you're drinking out of, vessels of honor. The important things are made of valuable stuff. In other words, gold, silver, these are for honor. On the other hand, there are vessels that are made of clay or of wood. Like what? Like a garbage can. Okay, there's no plastic. There's no rubber in those days. They had to put garbage somewhere. It might be in a, um, a wooden thing that's a bucket. I don't want to get gross or anything, but 
There's no indoor plumbing at this time. So human waste might go in there. It might be an ashtray. Are those things important? Yes, but those are not vessels of honor. You with me? The difference between the gold and the silver versus the, the clay and the wood. Vessels of honor versus vessels of dishonor, in other words. Okay, so this is where it gets a little confusing. What was the large house again? The church. So wait, who are the vessels of silver and gold? The true believers. That's who it is. They are set apart to be used for God for honorable purposes. Okay, what's the context again of this chapter? What did we just talk about? False teachers. Who are the vessels of dishonor, the garbage cans, the places where somebody might vomit or go to the bathroom or an ashtray? Vessels of dishonor. In the church, yes. Jesus gives a lot of parables about wheat, the good Christians. And what do you know? There, here comes growing tares, weeds that look a lot like wheat, right? But they're weeds amongst the Satan is so crafty and smart. The best way to ruin Christianity is not from out there. It's get in here and create division and false teaching and what have you. Okay. So let's go back to the analogy. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, wood and clay. Some are for noble or special purposes, and some are for common use. So we've got in the same great house, two different types of vessels. We, reading this, are hoping, I hope I'm a vessel of honor, you know. I uh, hope I'm not an ashtray or a spit, spittoon or something. Okay, here it comes. Verse 21, those who cleanse themselves from the latter, that's latter, L-A-T-T-E-R, the last one of those two, what was the last one? Wood and clay. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special or noble purposes made holy. Holy means separated out for God to use them, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Translation, if you're in a church and you know that there are people in the church who are vessels of dishonor. By that, I mean that guy over there is teaching false doctrine. He's trying to infiltrate this church. This verse is saying that's who to, listen, separate from. Because it's like a cancer. If you hang around it, you might get it. This does not mean with regard to evangelizing or trying to correct him with the Bible, but it mean, does mean socializing and hanging with him. Another example, this person over here comes to church, oh, I'm a Christian, but we know he's at the bar every night getting drunk, cheating on his wife, whatever it may be, okay? We are supposed to be separated out from them. Timothy, as the pastor, is supposed to separate them out because they want to infiltrate and they'll ruin the great house of the church, if you will. Go back to that verse again. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter, from the vessels of dishonor, from the wood, the clay. He's sort of saying some people are human spittoons, toilets, ashtrays, and garbage cans. Get away from that stuff. Don't hang around it. Don't tolerate it. Um, then if you do that, you'll be an instrument, a vessel for special or noble purposes that God can use, useful to the master, prepared to do any good work. Every Christian ought to want 
please use me, God, witnessing to other people, helping at the church, vacuuming the floor, whatever it is, show me what job you have for me, helping with the youth group. We got somebody here who does that a lot. Um, the point is, we cannot be useful if, now let's bring the analogy back. I am a silver goblet to be used at the dinner table when there's special guests. And yet I've been hanging around and inside of a big clay pot where people spit and throw up and go to the bathroom. Can't use it now. Dirty. Do you see what, see what the analogy is? Okay. Everybody's going, not really. Okay. Let's move on. Um, so we are to separate ourselves out. Like I said earlier, that doesn't mean I'm going to live in a Christian commune and never have any contact with the outside world. It means in terms of in the church, there's to be fellowship outside of the church. And those that are unbelievers, we can witness to them and are called to witness to them to try to change them in the power of God. But we got to be careful that we are in it, but not of it. I used to go to a church in Santa Cruz called Twin Lakes uh, Baptist Church. It was then, now it's just TLC, Twin Lakes Church, huge church, maybe 2,500 people. Uh, there was an old guy there named Pastor Kraft. And when I was playing in nightclubs in the early, in the late 70s, I would say it was, I was like five years old. Anyway, what are you laughing at? I, I came to see him and I said, you know, I'm a Christian, but my, I'm playing music and I'm playing in places where there's alcohol. And, and he said, and, and do you drink alcohol when you're in there? And I said, I don't anymore because somebody really convicted me of that once that you just look like everybody else. So I never drank again at a performance. And he said, we have to be really careful. And then he, I won't do the voice, but there's a buddy of mine watching who loves when I imitate him, but he had a, he was a little short guy with a really weird voice, but boy, he was so wise. Anyway, he said, um, this is so Jesus-like to me, like a little parable. He said, you can put, uh, you can put a boat, a little rowboat in a big ocean. He's calling me a rowboat in a big ocean of sin and you'll be okay. But if enough of the ocean gets in the boat, the boat can become part of the ocean, right? It'll sink, just disappear. You got to make sure you're a dry place in an ocean of sin kind of thing. So anyway, just a cool analogy. Um, what's that? I said, and you well, I don't know about that, but a work in progress. That's right. You're one person that used to come to those nightclubs in the 70s and 80s. Wow. Anyway, uh, let's keep rolling, shall we? Uh, yeah, I want you to notice one more thing about that verse. Verse 21. Remember we said divine sovereignty? God does it. He calls us. He's changing me. It's great, but it's not passive. We don't sit in a recliner and wait for him to do stuff. How do you know that, Joe? Look at verse 21 again. Uh, yeah, 21. Those who wait for God to cleanse them. Do you see that? No, you don't. What does it say? Those who cleanse themselves do it. He's saying there's a personal responsibility. We need to know what's wrong and listen to our conscience and the voice of God and the scripture and clean our lives from the latter, those people that are going to be bad influences. Verse 22. 
more personal responsibility. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now, no matter what age you are, you're capable of sin. Amen? You liars, say amen real loud. Okay. <laughs> Everybody's capable of sin. But the point he's making here is, if you know anything about life, the chances of you going off the deep end and sinning in a huge way were greatly elevated in your youth. Teens, early 20s, come on. Um, it's true. So the point is, um, there those adolescent, young adult years, the sexual hormone thing, the flesh, the success, the glory, the, the, I did things in those years that you couldn't get me to do now that were dangerous stuff in a car or on a bike, crazy things um, that I would never do now. He's saying those desires, flee them, run away. Don't entertain them. Don't hang around them. I'm not going to do it, but I'm just going to be in here. It's like the person that's on a diet that says, I'm not supposed to have any sweets um, or any bread. So I'm going to go in the bakery and just smell all the baked goods and the cupcakes, but I'm not going to eat anything. What are you doing in there? You're letting yourself be tempted. You might get into trouble. Flee those things and instead pursue something else. Christianity involves leaving something and pursuing. The, the word in Greek means chase after it, go after it, pursue righteousness. That may, basically means rightness. Well, how do I know what's right? It's not what we think is right. It's what God's word says is right. Because if you create your own moral conduct, your own law, your own God, I can guarantee you that the level of what's right and wrong will be commensurate with or right alongside what you already do. These things, I mean, I'm not an ax murderer. That would be down here. I, I, I just do some things, but it's okay. God understands. When we look at God's word, it's a whole different story. So pursue righteousness, pursue faith. Now faith is a gift, but you, it's like a muscle. You can pursue it by exercising it, by obedience, by doing what it says. Pursue love. That verb pursue involves each of these nouns, righteousness, faith, pursue love, go after it. We talk a lot about love in this Bible study, and that's hard. It's easier to love God than it is to love people. Do you know that? Because God's so lovable. He's so good. If you realize how much he's done for you, how much you owe him, it's easy for you to love him. People, not so much. Because we're not all lovable. You all are. But some of these people on Zoom, no, I'm just kidding. Some people are more lovable than others. It, the Bible makes no distinguish, uh, makes no, uh, doesn't distinguish between the two. In fact, Jesus has the audacity to say, love your enemies. That shows that it's not on the basis of, well, she's lovable or he is, and they're kind to me, so I'm kind to them. Be kind to people regardless. Love people regardless. And pursue peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Remember that? Matthew 5. Along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Along with other people, he's saying. Fellowship. What does that mean? He means be a pure vessel and hang out with the gold and silver vessels. Al along with them, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. That's one of the ways you know that you are an honorable vessel, if you will. Um, I'm reading my notes here. I think we 
beat that dead horse, didn't we? But flee the flee these um, desires of youth that are there to tempt you. By the way, the devil knows exactly how to tempt you, and it's very different from how he tempts me or Dan or anybody in this room. He's so crafty. He knows that what would tempt Ken wouldn't tempt Charlotte. Two different things. So we need to know God's word and recognize temptation and turn from it immediately. The human tendency is to entertain it and look at it. I'm not going to do it, but I'm going to look for a little while, just a little flee, saying run the other way. Verse 23, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid, NIV, arguments. Um, some translations, I think, have vain, meaning they're just endless um, controversies that people love to argue about in, in churches that aren't fruitful. The main things of the gospel are the plain things. We can get off on so many weird tangents. He's saying, don't have anything to do with these debates and these arguments, because you know that they produce quarrels, fights, not a good thing. So he's to teach the word of God. That's the point really there. Um, uh, we already talked about that. The verse 24, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to nice people. Is that what it says? Kind to Christians. No, kind to everyone. Hard to do. Able to teach, not resentful. So the Lord's servant in this context, he's talking to Timothy, who's a pastor right? A person that teaches others and shepherds the flock. That servant must not be the type of person. You ever meet these people? They have a chip on their shoulder. They can't wait to argue about anything. Uh, don't be that kind of quarrelsome person. Be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Some, have you been wronged in your life to the point that you think, I deserve to hold a grudge against so-and-so? And the answer is, you need to read Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer. After the Lord's Prayer is over, do you know what the next verse says? For if you do not forgive your brother when he sins against you, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. Well, I forgive him, but I'm going to hold a grudge. Is that forgiveness? Do you see what I mean? We have to let those things go because God forgave us. That's the example. That's the 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 way that we're able to do it because of his forgiveness, not resentful. Opponents, verse 25, must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading, to, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Opponents, it's another term for these false teachers in the church or people that are antagonistic toward the gospel. They're always arguing, they're always debating, disrupting things. Or it can be, I've got two friends that I've known since, one since the seventh grade and one since the ninth grade. Um, and we don't talk much, but I still consider them both friends. One was a roommate of mine for a year and a half or so. And they are now just 100% atheists. And they love to make fun of Christianity and debate with me. And to tell you the truth, it makes my blood pressure go up because they're ridiculing my Lord and the Bible that I know is true. So um, those opponents, verse 25, must be gently instructed, and they're not gentle about it. 
I have to say, neither one, one especially, in the hope that, now listen, we're to do something there. Be gentle when we're debating with unbelievers, opponents of the gospel. In the hope that, notice this wording, God will grant them repentance. You got to get out of your mind, and so do I, that if I can just make cogent, smart arguments, I can convince these two friends of mine, or your friend, or your sister, or your son, and logically they'll see it's historic, it's evidential, this Bible is unchanged, Christianity's true, there's no other way around it. They'll come to a knowledge of the truth, and they'll just believe it on their own. Wrong. I quoted John 6, 44 earlier. Do you remember? No one can come to the father. Uh, no one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the father who sent me draws him. This is another way to say it. It's a weird thing to say in the hope that God will grant them repentance. Isn't repentance something that they do on their own? I'm just going to turn from my sin. Answer, never. No human being has ever turned from their sin on their own. Oh, you can make efforts at it. You'll always turn back to it. I stopped drinking for four years and I'm drinking again. I stopped using drugs or whatever it may be. Looking at pornography. Now I'm back at it again. Listen, if God grants you repentance, he will change you from the inside out by the use of the Holy Spirit. God grants repentance. It's interesting. We just have to gently instruct them we're casting the seeds, if you will, another analogy from Jesus, and we wait and see which ones he waters. He may never water the seeds of my two friends that are atheists, who knows, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading, to, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. What's implied there is that what they think is knowledge is lies, right? They believe something that's completely untrue. This is the truth that saves. Interestingly, in John 14, 6, Jesus calls himself, do you remember? I am the truth. He actually says, I'm the way, the way, the path, the way to heaven, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. He is the truth, living truth, um, granting them to a knowledge of the truth. And by the way, it's not a knowledge that it's a download. You get it all at once and you've got it all. You come to a knowledge of the truth. And then what happens? You end up at a Bible study on Tuesday night because you want to learn more, don't you? So do I. That's why I'm teaching this while well, I'm really teaching this. God pushed me into it 31 years ago. The point is we want to learn more. I want to know as much of the truth as I can. I am such a doctrinal nerd. I will tell you in my bathroom, I have a radio tuned usually to Christian 99.9, those of you that live close by, KCIV. It's sermon after sermon after sermon. 40 years ago, you couldn't get me to turn the channel from rock and roll. I'm a musician. I want to hear music. I can't get enough sermons. It's so ridiculous. When I commuted to the Bay Area for doing music work for 27 years, I would record cassettes. This is a doctrinal nerd. I know I'm a nerd. You can make fun of me. I don't care. I would record cassettes of certain programs on the radio so I could just get, that was my education. I figured I'm, I'm going to use the time for something good, not listening to the same 11 rock and roll songs. Anyway, um, I don't know where I was going with that, but obviously the train has left the track. Um, a knowledge of the truth. We ought to be wanting to hear more and more. I also have 
the Dr. Leonard has an, I have a radio in the shower. Okay. I'm, I admit it. I'm a little weird. I want to learn all that I can while I can. Okay. Verse 26. Some of you are saying, we don't want that image in our minds. Keep moving. Verse 26, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Man, this, there's a lot in this verse. Did you see it? Who are they? They're opponents of the gospel. They are unsaved. They may think they're saved. They're unsaved. Paul's prayer is gently instruct them hoping that God will grant them repentance, verse 25, lead them to a knowledge of the truth so that they'll wake up. They'll come to their senses. You know where that phrase is used? In the story of the prodigal son. Do you remember that? Prodigal son, there's two sons, the faithful one that hangs with the father and works at the father's ranch, farm, whatever. And the other son, the younger son says, give me my money, my inheritance now to the dad. In a way, it's saying to the dad, to me, it's just like you're dead. So why don't you just give me my money and I'll be on my way. Dad gives him his share of the inheritance. You know the story. He ruins, he wastes it on riotous living, sinful living. He ends up broke. Do you remember? And he ends up getting a job working for some farmer feeding pigs. Do you remember that? For Jews, that would be the most unclean position you could have. Cleaning, you know, pig dung and stuff. And when he's there, he thinks about his dad's house and he realizes he comes to his senses. Do you remember? And he says, at least at my father's house, I could get fed, not eating the husks that I'm feeding these pigs. So he goes back to the, he came to his senses and he left something, that life he was living, and he went back to something, to his father's house. The beauty of that story is that the dad doesn't stand on the porch like this going, oh, you think he can just waltz back? The father sees him coming from far away. Do you remember? And he runs to him. Wealthy men in Israel never ran. There's a dignity about walking. You don't run. I'm in a hurry. I'm very successful. I don't need to run. He ran. It's a beautiful story of father's love. There's more in that story about the elder son, but I don't want to go there now because we're not studying those books. Shall we move on? The hope is that they'll come to their senses. You're praying for somebody that's unsaved. Pray that they'll come to their senses, that God will grant them repentance and escape the, where are they? Trap of the devil. Wow. The snares, uh, I think King James has. They're in a trap, whether they know it. Well, I'm free to do whatever drugs I want. And dude, you're not free at all. You're in a trap. I'm free to get drunk whenever I want. No, you're not free. The devil seeks to bind us to destroy the trap of the devil who has taken them captive prisoners to do his will. The will, the devil, does God have a will? Yes. A general will and a specific will for my life? Yes. Does the devil have a will? You don't read much about the devil's will, right? We always say, well, if it's God's will, God's will, the devil has a will. I got news for you. If you think the devil's will is for everybody to become mass shooting, uh, you know, people that kill a bunch of people or people that are rapists or some, but he's just happy as can be just to get you off track from stop going to church. Stop listening to that dude with the mustache on Tuesday night. You're not learning anything. He's boring. Stop. 
there's something good on TV probably. Maybe there's a dirty movie you could watch. He doesn't care how evil he makes you, just that he gets you away from Jesus. He even got people down the street into that Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall and the Mormon church next door and the New Age church because we have a need in us to feel like I'm doing something regarding God. Come to think of it, I am God. That's the third building I mentioned, right? Mormons believe that the men can become gods and rule over their own planets. This sounds really good to me. Not really. Don't, you wouldn't want to be on my planet, let me tell you. So you'd have to have a radio in the shower. Anyway, um, escape the trap of the devil. I want you to notice they can't escape the trap of the devil. What are you pointing at? Oh, somebody has a question. One second. I want you to notice they can't escape the trap of the devil on their own. How do you know that? God has to grant them repentance, verse 25. They have to have a knowledge of the truth, verse 25. They have to come to their senses, verse 26. That's all stuff God does. Then they're freed to escape the, the trap of the devil. Uh, Patty, what was your question? Go ahead, nice and loud, and then I'm going to repeat it so uh, for them to hear. I'm really concerned about this. So are we to believe the world that whoever's running around out there, they're actually captive? My, my Bible says is that the state of everything? That, she's asking, because probably they didn't hear. Um, we need to get you a microphone, actually. She's asking, is that the state of all the unsaved people in the world? Are they all captive to the devil? And I think the heart of your question is this. Are some of us believers, God's children? Yes, vessels of honor. Some captive to the devil. Is there a third category of people that are just sort of, I'm not on any team. I'm not for, I'm not on Satan's team. I'm not on God's team. I'm just sort of neutral. The answer is to your question. Yes. There's only two teams. Anybody that is unsaved, including you and me, when we weren't saved, we may not have known it. We were children of the devil. Keep your finger in 2 Timothy and go to the Gospel of John. Since you brought it up, and I sure hope it's in chapter 8, I think it is, go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, I'm winging it here. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, 8, they call him possessed by a demon there. Uh, they'd be a liar. Uh, mm, no, it's before that, but it's chapter eight. I'm pretty sure. Um, we are, uh, let's see. 33. Where? 33. Uh, they answered, we are Abraham's descendants. This is the same conversation. Yes. We've never been slaves of anyone. Jesus replied, verse 34. I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, can a slave say to his master, you know what? I quit. I'm out of here. No. A slave-master relationship is permanent unless the master says, okay, I'm letting you go. Or in the case of Christianity, unless a greater master, God, says he's mine, let him go. Um, let's see. I know you're Abraham's descendants, verse 37, yet you're ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. Uh, 
if you verse uh, 39, Abraham's our father, they answered, if you were Abraham's children, meaning he's the father of the Jews, we're God's people, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you're determined to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. Uh, Abraham did not do such things. 41, you are doing the things your own father does. Verse 42, if God were your father, why is my language, verse 43, not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear, unable to hear what I say. Um, you belong, verse 44, there it is. You belong to your father, the who? There's only two teams folks. You, you think of people that are the devil's children as being, and I used to, oh, you mean the Satan worshipers? Yeah, though, that's wow. But there's a whole separate category. No, there isn't, including me. I wasn't a Satan worshiper. I wasn't an axe murderer, but I was, I, own, I was owned by the small g, first Corinthians, God of this world, which is who class? Satan, the devil is the God of this world, whether you know it or not. And he doesn't care whether you worship him or uh, an actor or a sports person or a woman's body or drugs or alcohol or money or power or fame. He doesn't care. But you may say then, wait, God created the world. Yes. How did we get in this state? What happened? Adam and Eve. They chose over God. They chose to take Satan's advice. Ever since then, every human being, the default position, listen, for every human being is to be a child of Satan. When you're born, we're born in, David says it in the Old Testament, born in sin, right? The default position is, like you've heard of HIV, right? Positive or COVID-19 positive, the default position of mankind is we are SIN positive unless God touches us and changes us. So it's a weird thing, isn't it? That's what he's saying here in a way. And by the way, it's time for our two-minute break to wake up, stretch our aging bodies. Let's do that. I'm going to turn my screen off. I'll be back in two minutes. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Tuesday night Bible study. Jim Foster gets an A for the day because he mentioned uh, Matthew 6, where Jesus says, no man can serve. Listen to this. How many masters are there? Two masters. You, you, you either love the one and hate the other, or he's, he's speaking with regard to money there, but there's only two masters. Those that think I am the master of my life right? That's a Satan thing. That's exactly what Satan wants you to do. Anyway, we beat that dead horse as well. Let's move on. Did I hit the right buttons? Yes, I did. Nobody's screaming and yelling that my mic is off. Um, so they have to come to their senses by a gra being granted repentance. They come to a knowledge of the truth. They escape the trap of the devil. That's what happened to you and me, whether we knew it or not. That's what happened pretty amazing, who has taken them captive to do his will. One last thing about being captive, and we'll move on. I've given you this analogy before. I'll do it one more time. Imagine that I am a slave uh, of someone, and he's got uh, shackles around my ankles, 
and attached to the shackles is a big thick chain and there it's 30 feet long to a, a giant uh, metal pole in the ground. You got the picture? So I've got a 30 foot radius I can move and that's it. I can move inside the circle, but I'm captive. I can't go anywhere away from this post. Every day I'm in this little 30 foot circle. Every night I go to sleep in this 30 foot circle. I'm so used to it that when someone finally frees me and says, you can go anywhere, I'm liable to return and sleep in the circle again. And you say, what are you doing here? I don't know. I'm just so used to it. What's your point, Joe? Just this. If God has freed you from drug use, alcoholism, uh, addiction to pornography or lust or greed or whatever, we have a tendency to go back to our sinful ways. The way around that is to stay in the word, fellowship with other Christians, be accountable to a fellow brother who will correct you and say, what are you doing? But the Lone Ranger Christian guy is the most likely guy to end back, end up back where he was before. Let's move on, shall we? What do you know? We finished chapter two. I think we should have a little party right now. Um, just kidding. Um, let's see. We talked about that. Yeah. Okay. Chapter three, uh, kind of a, a change of subject, but we're going to have to define one part of this verse. And the answer might surprise you what it means. And that is the last days. You ever have people ask you, do you think we're in the last days? You think we're in the end times? I always say the second coming of Christ is closer now than it's ever been. Can't miss with that one, right? Let's read the verse and we'll talk about it. But mark this. He's saying, listen, this is really important. You might want to make a note of this. Mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. That's all he says in verse one. Okay, so we need to define last days, and then we're going to talk about why, why are they terrible, and the answer is in verse two. The first word of verse two, do you see it? People. That's why. I mean, there's always been weather problems and poverty, and it's too hot, it's too cold. The government is oppressive and horrible. People. Just the nature of people, he's saying here, is going to not get better. It's going to get what? Worse and worse. But let's stay in verse one. Terrible times in the last days. Okay, so we tend to think in terms of, and in a technical sense, it's true, the last days, meaning the days right before the second coming of Jesus Christ, before a tribulation of seven years, if that's what's supposed to happen. There's all kinds of views on that. But pretty much every Christian believes Jesus Christ will return bodily to the earth the same way he went. Acts 1, he said, just as you've, the angel said, just as you've seen him go, he's going to come back the same way. Bodily, physical return. Every eye will see him. <clears throat> Excuse me. So generally speaking, we think of the last days and times as that tribulation period, the day of the Lord, that end times. But I got news for you. I'm going to show you some scriptures that say that the last days began in Acts chapter 2, the start of the church. It's the Christian era. It's the Messianic or Messiah era. Um, let's look at a few, shall we? Um, 1 John 2, 18, not John. Now go to 1 John. It's three books before Revelation, if you're not a page turner. 1 John chapter 2. 
Look at verse 18. And this is being written in somewhere around 90, 95 AD. Okay, Jesus has been dead 60 years. All the apostles are dead. John's the only one left. Dear children, this is the last hour. This is the last times. This is it. As you've heard, the Antichrist is coming. That's how you know it's really the end times when the Antichrist shows up. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Okay, there's others. We could go to Acts 2.17. Hebrews, well, I can't resist going to Hebrews. From 1 John, take a left and go to Hebrews, just a few short books to the left, and go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews is an amazingly interesting book. I always say that Hebrews is a book written by a Hebrew to other Hebrews to tell them, stop being Hebrews. Jesus is the answer to everything the Old Testament talked about. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Hebrews 1. In the past, Hebrews 1 verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. He's saying that in the Old Previously, God spoke to the Jews through the prophets, you know, from Abraham all the way through Moses, Ezekiel, all the prophets. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in what? <clears throat> in these last days, which last days? These. This is the church age. We. This is the last days. There are several ages we want this is a whole detour we won't take but in the bible there's several ages there's an age just of adam and eve in the garden of eden and that ends pretty quickly right there's an age pre um flood that occurs right and sin is so great god has to flood the earth there's a the abrahamic covenant uh noah covenant sorry abraham uh, eventually moses and the law this is the Christian era. Is there, are there more? Yes. The end times ends the church age. And then we get into what I believe is the millennium, a period where Jesus reigns on the earth and you reign with him. That's R-E-I-G-N, not R-A-I-N, by the way. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. It's going to be hard to tear myself away from Hebrews, but look at verse three. If you think Jesus is just some great teacher, look at verse three. The son, that's Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. Here it comes. You ready? Is Jesus God? You Christians believe Jesus is deity? And, verse 3, the exact representation of his being, God's being, sustaining all things by his powerful world, word. Jesus is not the approximate, similar, exact representation of God. Now, had he said those words, they would have killed him earlier, right? If Jesus said, I am the exact representation of God. He did say it a different way. Do you remember in John? He that has seen me have seen the father. You can't get any closer. Now, I bear a little resemblance to my mother and my father, but I would never say, if you've seen me, you've seen my father. We didn't look that much alike. Some of you maybe look just like your dad, but not exactly 
not exact representation. Okay, Joe, you're off track. All right, go back to 2 Timothy 3. Terrible times in the last days. Terrible times. Okay, you need to tell us more, Paul. You've already got our attention. Um, let's see. The word terrible can be translated perilous, dangerous, troublesome, difficult, increasingly more evil. Let me say one more thing before we move to verse two, and that's this. When Jesus speaks in Matthew 24 of the end times, okay, he talks about a birth. Do you remember this? He calls the troubles that are going to occur, the wars, the starvation, the disease, the nation rising against nation, false Christs. He gives all these warnings in Matthew 24. Don't read it now, but read it later. And he calls those things birth pangs or birth pains. If you know anything about birth pains, ladies, can I get an amen? They start at one level and get more and more and more intense, don't they, girls? And they happen closer and closer and closer and closer together in time, right? Um, I know because I watched two births and we men, we understand we have the harder job, right? Coaching, the... just kidding. Okay, don't write me letters. Okay, so why will they be bad times, terrible times in the last days? Verse two, look at all these adjectives. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. What's that? It's another way of saying what he said about the vessels of honor. you got to get away from those toilets and those don't hang out with them. If they're behaving that way, it's contagious. Be careful, he's saying. Okay, now you know me. We go one verse at a time. We're going to go through every one of these. Number one, by the way, did that list sound like today? Do you think it's worse today than it was 50 years ago? Yes. Worse today than 250 years ago? And yet, there's a famous quote. Um, and I always forget if it's, well, I won't say who it is. I'll just tell you the quote. I'm going to paraphrase it. But this is what the quote basically says. I'm very concerned for our society. People are arrogant. The young generation is troublesome. Their music is noise, and they're disobedient, and they're disrespectful. I'm pretty sure it was Aristotle who said that a couple thousand years ago. You say, well, see, then it's always been this way. Yes, but birth pangs getting worse and worse. I think it's getting worse. I'm 67 years old. I never remember people shooting absolute strangers drive-by shootings. You see those films on the subway of some guy just comes up to an old lady and beats her up and you go, do you even know this person? They don't even rob them sometimes. Not that that would make it right, but people will be lovers of themselves. It's so important that you learn to love yourself, not biblically. The Bible is a mirror. And when I look at it and I compare myself to the character I'm supposed to have, I almost have to look away when I realize 
I'm not even that close to that stuff, right? Love yourself. Um, there was a song Whitney Houston did, the greatest love of all, right? Is learning to love yourself. Listen, the greatest love of all occurred 2000 years ago when Jesus Christ left heaven to become a man and die for people that hated him, that couldn't care less. That's the greatest love. Jesus said it, greater love hath no man than he give his life for his friends. Then he said, you're my friends if you do what I command you. Okay, people will be lovers of themselves, egotistical. Notice how much pride there is in this list. There's a lot of self-love going on, isn't there? I'm so great. Um, Self-centeredness. Okay, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, greedy. Is that happening now? Unbelievably, right? C.S. Lewis has a famous quote saying, people that are greedy, it's not about getting the money for themselves. It's about having more money than that guy. It's so silly. How much is enough? A little more. Keeping up with the Joneses or the whoever. What's the Elon Musk is now the richest man, isn't he? The richest man in the world. Um, keeping up with the Musks doesn't have the same ring to it. Lovers of money. Boastful. This is why these are dangerous times. Why? Because it's going to get harder and harder to be a Christian in the midst of these characteristics of people. These are the ones, listen, and the characteristics both to avoid for believers. That's why he's mentioning them. Lovers of money, boastful. Remember Muhammad Ali? I am the greatest. Remember? And he might have been boxer. God humbled him though, didn't he? I am the greatest, boastful, proud. That doesn't mean I'm proud. Of, I did a good job or my son, I'm proud of my son. He did well. This, It means pride. Pride comes before a fall. The Bible says it's all about me. Abusive. Is that increasing now? I think it is. Right. And then among those, it's almost laughable until you think about it. Disobedient to their parents. And you go, well, wait, that's not as bad as the others. Kids have always been disobedient to their parents. Is that more now? Listen, the drummer in my band for years and years was a, also a teacher, a teacher's aide at a, a junior high in Sunnyvale. And he did it for like 25 years. So he would see this is how the seventh graders are. This is how they are in the 90s. This is how they are in the 2000s. And he saw a huge change in the disobedience. I would never raise my voice to a teacher, let alone my parents. He said it happened all the time in school. They would Teachers would tell them to do stuff, and the kids would go, no, what are you going to do? Um, disobedient to their parents. Let me tell you, if you're disobedient to your parents, in your household, that's where you learn about submission. Do I have to submit? All your life. You submit to your parents, which teaches you to submit to your teachers, which teaches you to submit to your boss or your coach if you play sports or your ballet teacher if you're doing that. It teaches you to submit to your commanding officer if you go in the armed forces. And eventually it teaches you to commit, submit to your boss in your career, right? You start with being abusive to parents and disobedient, it's going to mess up your whole life. 
let's see, 90% of men in prison, 90% of men in prison have something in common. Do you know what it is? Didn't have a good relationship with my father. 90%. Okay. Where were we? Abusive. No, we passed that one. Disobedient to parents. Ungrateful. They're not thankful. Who should they be thankful to? Their parents, but more God, right? Who gave you everything you have. Every good and perfect gift, James says, chapter one, comes down from the father of lights. Every gift you have, whether it's to be an artist or to build things, fix things, be a musician, whatever the gift you have came from God. Your money, your health, your family, every good thing you have, your friends came from God. We ought to be grateful. Unholy. Okay, holy means separated to God in such a way that he can use you. I'm doing God's will. Unholy, where there's some unholy stuff going on. What used to be uh, the censors would have stopped on television in the, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago is now on commercials, let alone TV shows. Have you ever seen a commercial and go, whoa, did you see that? Okay. Uh, unholy verse three without love okay this is an interesting one um uh where's my notes literally it means without natural affection without familial or family love um the first time i remember this occurring was the 80s what were the uh, what i'm talking about is kids killing their parents Okay. What was the name of the two boys that uh, in Beverly Hills, they were wealthy Menendez, right? They walked into their parents' front room with shotguns and blew them both away. You remember that? I remember thinking, wow, without love, without natural affection. Okay. The other way around, Susan Smith, do you remember her? Drowned her kids in her car. Like what? Your kids? without natural affection, without family love. Um, there's a growing disregard of family and what have you. Um, we took God out of the schools in the 1960s and everything changed. The divorce rate skyrocketed. SAT scores and grades in school plummeted. A juvenile delinquency, crime, I could go on and on, but that's not what we're here to talk about. Okay, uh, we already talked about that. I'll give you another one at the risk of stepping on a few toes without familial love, family love, without natural affection. How about killing a baby in the womb? Let me just say, if you've had an abortion, there, that is not a sin you cannot be forgiven for. It's a sin. If you confess it, of course, God is happy to forgive you and you'll see your daughter or son in heaven. I have a feeling. But the killing of babies in the womb, and people will fight for that right today, right? Because it's my body and my choice. No, it's not your body. It's a whole nother body with a different DNA and different blood type and different heartbeat. It's a living human being. Okay. I'm getting on my little soapbox today. Um, where were we? Unholy, without love, unforgiving. Clint Eastwood movie, Unforgiven. Remember that movie? Unforgiving. 
That's the holding of grudges. That's a sign somebody's not a believer. You got to forgive because he's forgiven you. Slanderous more than ever. Nowadays, you run a political campaign against Chris. You know what you got to do? You got to dig up dirt on Chris. And if you can't find any, you make it up. Right? That's how political campaigns are run. Slander all over the place. Lies. Without, how about this one? Without self-control. Is that changing over the last 40 or 50 or 60 years? Unbelievably. I got news for you. All of these things are happening today and it's going to get worse. Be prepared for it. It's going to shock you to where we're getting numb to the different stuff that's happening. So many things change every day. And you just kind of go, oh, there's another one. Without self-control, brutal. Like we said, those people just walk up and punch somebody, in, an old man or old woman in the face, a child. Brutal. Not lovers of the good. No, they ridicule the good right? The Bible, God, Jesus, Christians, not lovers of the good, treacherous. <clears throat> that has the whole idea of being guilty of betrayal or deception. Traitors is another word for it. Um, the next word, rash. These are just people that act out of just uh, total impulse, no thought, no, should I really do this? Is it right or wrong? They just do it, whatever it is. Rash doesn't mean having a rash that you're itchy or anything. In case you were wondering, um, where were we? Conceited. Another way of the arrogance thing again, pride. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Pleasure's kind of become a God, you know, in our country, don't you think? Lovers of pleasure instead of lovers of God. Now, this is an interesting little sideline I'm going to just throw at you here. Um, well, two things. Number one, how much self in these, uh, how much self there is in each of these uh, characteristics. Here are some sayings from American culture. Does this fit with what we're reading? Listen, if it feels good, do it. He who dies with the most toys wins. I like, I'd like to get one that says he who dies with the most toys is still dead. It doesn't matter how many toys you have, right? Look out for number one. I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I'm a self-made man. No, you're not. Um, the universe revolves around me. Rules are made to be broken. Make your own rules. Answer to no one. That's all right from the devil. Even if it sounds good until you think about it, it shouldn't sound good because you know what the word says, right? Okay. Back to my little unusual thing here in verse four. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Don't misread that. Don't think that that says in life, you either have to be a lover of God and you'll have no pleasure or you can be have all the pleasure and be a, a son of the devil or daughter of the devil. It's either or. You got to suffer every moment as a Christian. There's no pleasure for Christians. I don't want to see anybody smiling in here. Listen, this is interesting. Psalm 1611. The psalmist is 
singing a praise to God. And he says to God, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You don't have to forsake pleasure. Worship of pleasure, love of pleasure over love of God is bad. But listen, there's nothing more fulfilling than living the Christian life, than witnessing to someone and seeing them come to faith in Christ, than seeing yourself change as God changes you and takes away the desire for things you think, I'll never stop doing that habit. And you don't do it anymore. The Christian life is full of joy and pleasure. Why does Paul say it more than once? I love how redundant he is. Rejoice always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Grumpy Christians is, are like flaming snowflakes. There should be no such thing, right? We have the answer. Okay, but one more thing about that. Did you hear Psalm 1611? At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Did you notice that phrase? At your where? Right hand. He's talking to God. Who sits at the right hand of God? Christ. He's seated. It's in Hebrews. It's a bunch of places. Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Right hand of God. It's almost a hint that the true pleasure comes from knowing that one that's seated at the right hand of God. Okay. Shall we move on? Verse five. Did we finish verse four? Yeah, we did. Um, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Boy, that's, you know what that is? That's those churches down the street we just mentioned, cult row. That's the churches that are, call themselves Christian, Christian, not Mormon, not Jehovah's Witness, not New Age, like the guy in Houston that bought a stadium. You know who I mean? His initials are Joel Osteen. Oh, did I slip and say his name? And he blinks a lot and he's got a form of godliness, but he denies its power. You watch that show, you will see possibly the best preacher on television. No notes. He never says, uh, like me. He never stumbles for words. He has it down, man. He's got the smile. He's got that great hair and the good looking wife. And it's all so great. And behind him, well, there, if you look closely, there's, there's no cross. You ever notice? Anybody know? What's behind him? A big globe that spins. No cross. Not a lot of Jesus, not a lot of scripture, but there's a lot of you can live, this is the name of his book, Your Best Life Now. You can have the wealth and the health and everything you want if you'll just name it and claim it. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power. It's not my power to create my own reality with my words. It's God's power to do in my life whatever he wants. I'm happy with that. It is well with my soul. Okay, where were we? Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Okay, so look back at that list. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful pride, abusive, disobedient to parents. We don't need to read all those again. Read the last sentence in verse five. Hang out with those people and learn from them. Eh, wrong. Have nothing to do with those people. It's going to get worse and worse. Listen, in the Old Testament, God called the Jews. I want you to be a... Remember this? It's a funny thing. Peculiar people. We're supposed to be peculiar, not weirdos, but different from the world. Well, everybody's doing it. We're not. I'm not going to do it. 
I don't want to conform to that stuff. We have to be separate. We have to, because God's word doesn't change. Fashions change, morals change. If you watched, I'm at my age, some of you will remember this, some of you won't. In the 50s and early 60s, there were TV shows. I can think of I Love Lucy. I can think of the Dick Van Dyke show where the husband and wife slept in separate twin beds. Do you remember that? I remember thinking, God, my, my parents are weird. They sleep in the same bed. Not like Ozzie and Harriet or whoever. That was considered, you can't show a man and a woman getting into this, even with the pajamas and the nightgown and the little night cap or whatever. That wouldn't be appropriate. Now watch TV. Good Lord. In any case, have nothing to do with such people. Tell us more about them, Paul. They are the kind who, now he's going to take it back to Ephesus first century, late first century, the false teachers. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible, literally, literally the word is little, meaning diminutive. They're easily swayed one way or the other. Gullible uh, women who are loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Okay, what's going on here? The false teachers always looked for easy targets. Okay, they didn't want to go to the theologians because they're not going to convince them. They would go to women who, <clears throat> excuse me, in that culture would be much less likely to have any education in school, period, let alone the Bible, Old Testament or New. Okay. An interesting statistic I read today, and it's in verse six. Where is it? Okay. Now, for the first time in America or anywhere in the world, <clears throat> 70 men graduate from college for every 100 women. Way more women graduate from college than men now. Am I saying that's a problem? No, I'm just saying in those days, women were not educated. So for those false teachers, they were the easiest people to fool. So the picture is of them worming their way, the false teachers, into the homes of these women that were staying at home while their husbands were out, or maybe they were single, gaining control over them, who are loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires. If you want to sell a religion, you got to appeal to people's evil desires. Don't you want to be rich? You can speak to your wallet or your purse, ladies, and make yourself rich or your bank account. You can speak to it. Just like God can create things by speaking. It's a way of saying you're God's and they're wrong. So that's what that verse is talking about. Um, uh, let's see. What's different now? In those days, the false teachers had to go and knock at the door and the woman had to let them in. Not so now. Because in a home, whether it's a woman or a man, you got a TV. There's all kinds of bad teaching, man. Turn the channels. You got the internet and a phone. You, man, for the first time in human history, pornography is 
at your fingertips on the couch at home. Whether it's TV, cable TV, Netflix, whatever, or on the internet. They don't have to anymore, right? The false teaching, all that evil has come into the home and taken over in many cases. I love verse seven, always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. They're always gaining knowledge, but it's not the knowledge of the truth, not the truthful one, Jesus Christ. They're learning more and more. My atheist friends are getting smarter and smarter, they think. Always learning, never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. In these verses, there's tons of pride. I can't resist reading Romans 12, 3, that we are not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Right? Um, so, as we said, there's all kinds of pride. Um, I would assume that these false teachers were well-spoken, charismatic, probably good-looking, probably had that Joel Osteen hair, you know, and well-dressed and what have you. Verse 8, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. Oh, just about out of time. Um, so they are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. Okay. He's going to make an analogy about the current false teachers in that church and go back to the Old Testament to a story that's in Exodus 7 and 8, where there are Egyptian magicians who oppose Moses. Okay. We're going to have to talk about this more next week, but what happened was Moses is able by taking his stick, his staff, a rod thing, throw it on the ground and turn it into a snake. God gave him the power to do a miracle to convince the Pharaoh. You with me so far? But there were magicians there. And I don't mean David Copperfield or whoever. I mean, magicians, sorcerers that were empowered by the dark side, occult Satan, and Satan has, listen, tremendous power. As much as God, like the bad side of the force in Star Wars and the good side, it's pretty equal. No, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It's no match. God versus Satan is a million versus one. But Satan has more power than you and I. And they can, he can do, as the Antichrist will do, we'll talk about it next week, lying signs and wonders. So these guys... Janus and Jambres, their names are not in the Old Testament, must have been in Jewish um, tradition and the writings of the rabbis, their names. But the names are clearly, by the way, um, nicknames. How do you know that? Because they mean rebel and opponent. That's what the two names mean. So these were false teachers, just like the false teachers Paul's talking about for Timothy. And they were able to do some of the miracles Moses did. You remember? Oh, we can do that trick too. And they had a magic trick that was similar, satanic, okay, to draw people away. In the end, though, when you read the whole story, they were not able to match miracle for miracle with Moses. He did greater miracles because God is greater. 
And they ended up having to sort of reluctantly give glory to the real God. We are out of time. We'll talk more about miracles by Satan, Revelation 13, 2 Thessalonians 2, whatever. Anyway, thank you for being here. Let's pray. And uh, then we'll dismiss the class. Thank you guys for being on Zoom as well. Always love having you here. Let's pray. Father, change us. Make us vessels of honor. Clean us up, God. We may have to not be around some people that are polluting our lives. If they are, we need to move away. Help us to be separate, to live holy lives by the power of your spirit, God. Help us not to be corrupted by false teaching. Make us aware of our own sin. Help us to flee those evil desires and that chain that used to hold us, God. Help us to pursue some things like faith and love and, and uh, righteousness and peace. And so we see all these last days predictions and we're going, boy, that sounds like our world, God. Help us to not submit to that sort of evil, but to be different and to shine our lights out and to spread the gospel so that some who are children of the devil, slaves, will be changed as we were. All to your glory, God. We thank you. Bless this time. Uh, this week until we see everybody again. Help these truths to change the way we live, God. We give thanks to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you that are here, make sure you say hello to someone that you've never met before and introduce yourself. It's very important. Those of you on Zoom, God bless. Nice to see you.